even when you think of the design, how a space was laid out, if you don't have a diverse group of eyes that are taking a look at it, who is it really designed for? I'm David Kepron, and this is the Next Level Experience Design Podcast. What if for years you had a vision? A vision of something extraordinary. And for all those years, you hit every kind of barrier that seemed to be keeping you from your goal. Barriers that came from a manufactured system of systemic and institutionalized racial violence to barriers that no one could have possibly imagined shutting down the world into which your dream was about to be born. What if your dream was to grow a hospitality company for a community of travelers who was often met with similar barriers on their travel experiences? What if your dream was about using architecture and design to tell the story of both the history of a particular building and the city in which it stands that has deep black American roots? Stories that were not often told and even less understood. How can a hotel pay homage to the history of black American experience? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Well, the dream of Damon Lawrence is one of perseverance in the face of recurring challenges that most of us would have simply decided to choose a simpler path. It is one where the content of one's character is clearly evident. Damon Lawrence started his hotel career as a front desk agent for the Thompson Hotel Group's Donovan House in downtown D.C. From there, Damon moved within management ranks and companies such as Ritz-Carlton and Intercontinental Hotel Group. Damon Lawrence is now the founder and CEO of Homage Hospitality. His dream is impassioned, it's authentic, and genuinely focused on providing a hotel experience that is geared towards creating something like you've never seen before. He says it'll feel like a new kind of experience, a new kind of hospitality. Damon Lawrence's vision is about creating a hotel experience that meets the unique needs of African-American travelers. The idea behind Homage Hospitality is to create hotel experiences that are full of meaning and purpose, using architecture, art, and design to tell stories that aren't often told, stories that are more relevant today than they have ever been before. And with that, I can say that it is... My pleasure, indeed, my honor to have Damon Lawrence of Homage Hospitality on Next Level. Damon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation, for sure. Part one, I'm calling Dream in the Making. And uh, I, I love the idea of the dream. And I, I love even more so the I Have a Dream speech and everything that it meant um, for, for Black Americans, but also for, for you as an individual. And it seemed to be very fitting. So... I wanted to take us back a few years, which, as I understand it, may have been at or around the time of the beginning of your dream to create this hospitality company. Mm. And it starts not with a happy note. It starts on a dark note with the experience of the Walter Scott murder. I wondered if you could sharing with us what happened with you in that day and how you might have seen that particular experience as a turning point for you personally and and professionally yeah thank you for that question it's a very interesting question there was if you remember at that time there were just a number of events happening back to back it felt like right it was trayvon martin it was mike michael brown and then 
the one that was probably the most hard to watch because there was actual video footage and very clear video footage was the Walter Scott case. And if you don't remember that case, it was a, a guy getting pulled over for a broken taillight. Uh, he gets out of the car, conversation ensues, and then the cop pulls out his gun. The guy starts running and he shoots him two times in the back as he's running away. Um, and, you know, we even saw something similar uh, just a, about the last week, I think, with Rashad Brooks. Very similar situation, but at that time, it was all the all the other cases leading up to that, the people, the subjects in the case were younger men, and that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. The Walter Scott case was different because this is an older Black man. This is my father. This is my uncle. This is my grandfather. And it just touched me in a different way, right? I think it's one thing where you, you can internalize it for yourself. It's different when you internalize it for people that you care about, other people outside of yourself, and you worry, you worry for them. And so I'm still not the type to go out and um, publicly protest and demonstrate. I protest through my work, through my art, through my creativity. And for me, it was just a time for me to focus and hone in on what am I going to do to offer something different to the world? What am I going to do to bring some new light or some kind of change uh, in the midst of all the things that are going on? And so that's when I uh, started building what is now Homage. You said in in one interview, you didn't think that during those days, the early days, that you were beginning to create this idea of homage, um, that people took you very seriously, right? They said, you know, but you believed in this idea so much. And I've had those moments where I have an idea in my head and and through hard labor, it comes to fruition. And it's kind of a euphoric moment, right? Um, Yes. But, you know, when all those stars are aligning inside of you, you know, and you've got this vision going on, what is that feeling like for you? Give us a little bit more about how these circumstances were were churning in you and and creating what you thought was going to be the next step for your career? Yeah, you know, it's similar to what you said. It's a very euphoric feeling and you kind of get lost in it. I think the process just starts to kind of take over who you are and, and what you're going to become, especially when you're so passionate about it. And so for me, when I first started to realize, hey, where are the boutique hotels that pay homage to us? Are there any that are owned by African-Americans? And then I started doing that research and found out there's not. Okay, so perfect opportunity for me. And I couldn't let it go, right? It was just burning inside. I couldn't let the idea, the vision uh, go that this needed to exist in the world. And it just became long nights, early mornings, and just a burning passion that really would not go away. Mm. I wrote a blog for VMSD Magazine. I wrote a blog called Brain Food. Mm. And uh, in this particular blog, I was writing about how I figured I had 2020 all figured out, man. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to you know, step away from a role that I had at Marriott and enter this new sort of area of passion. And then the world you know, fundamentally changes. Like, did I have it even closely right? Not even close. <laughs> uh, and it reminds me of that old Jewish adage that says, man made plans and God just laughed. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. You know? So it doesn't always work out the way you anticipate, right? I mean, you, you had repeated barriers in your way, you know, and I think you come to this point where maybe you just say, why, why aren't there any other people out there doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, so how did you rationalize around those roadblocks and what conclusions did you come to? Yeah, you know, when you first start, I didn't know anything, right? I worked in hotels, but I didn't know how to buy a hotel. I didn't know the process. I didn't know where you get money from or how you finance things. All these things really I've learned in the last five years. And just now do I fully understand the entire process. But I think that was the exciting part at that time. I realized I'm young. I don't have any kids. I don't have any responsibilities. I can take the time and take a chance and just see how far I can get. And so it was just this moment of discovery, right? I was asking as many people as I possibly could, taking every single meeting that I could just to talk about what the vision was. Once I started to truly believe that it was possible, which probably happened maybe a month or two after I first even came up with the idea, there was nothing that was gonna stop me from getting there. No question was too dumb. Like I was gonna ask it, I was gonna figure it out. And I said to myself, and I used to say this like every day, there are thousands of hotels. In order for me to even like drive to Oakland, so I would drive from LA to Oakland and I would think about all the hotels that I pass on the way, just on the drive. And I was like, why can't I have one? I just need one. And so it was just that passion to continue on and figure out how do I get to that place that just kept me mo motivated and, and kept me going. Did you have that belief that no one was seeing the world quite like you were from the point of view that you were seeing it? That was part of the motivation to keep on going? Yeah, you know, what I thought early on was that was the case, right? Man, no one must see what I see right? I must be in a blue ocean and no one else can see that. And then what I realized is that there were other people that saw it, but there were just so many barriers to entry that they only got to a certain stage where they would just finally say, forget it. And I don't know if that was just because, look, I had youth on my side. So, you know, I could spend the last five years working on something and continue working on it or what, but I, I, I soon realized there were other people that would, would have loved to have done it, but never got as far. So you got the big vision. You, you have this incredible idea to create a hospitality company and you, you get to the bigger vision by, I guess, implementing smaller goals or, or trying to shoot at smaller goals to get to the bigger end game. You probably had a few false starts Yep. And you were probably losing gigs to billionaires, right? Yep. Yep. So what did you do next? Yeah, so we were we were losing out bids left and right in Oakland. You know, cash buyers. It was an interesting time in Oakland. Things were changing. As fast as we were building our brand, things were changing just as fast in Oakland. And so we had an investor, my first investor, our earliest investor. And he said, you know what? You just need to get this brand out there. You need to do something small, something that you can easily wrap your arms around. And that's going to be the best bet for you. And at first we were too stubborn. We were stubbornly stuck on doing this project in Oakland and doing this hundred room property that was just going to be super cool, that it was hard for us to rationalize. How, why would we do something super small? Why would we go to a different market? But over time, it started to make more and more sense that 
if we're going to push forward, we just need to take a baby step mm-hmm. and keep on taking those steps. And we went to New Orleans. New Orleans is probably the perfect place for us to start. We're gonna, if we're going to pay homage to uh, Black culture, if we're going to pay homage to these untold stories, there are a plethora of them in New Orleans and so much history beyond just the surface level jazz history that we know. There's deeper history to pinpoint and to talk about. It ended up being a really good move for us just to get our brand out there and to get the awareness that we were looking for. Well, one of the things I, I find exciting and that I resonate with was I have always believed, but I think it was Confucius who says, I hear, I forget, I see, I remember, and I do and I understand. Mm-hmm. You literally built the more with with your partners. Yep. I, I was watching some video. You had paint on your hands and you yep. were climbing <laughs> ladders. And so, and then that is, I admire that because I think you learn really what it takes, I mean, literally from the ground up, right? I mean, yes. a five room hotel on Canal yep. Street yep. or five room row house really on Canal Street. And you built yep. that. You literally built it. Yes. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I think you, you fully understand what it means to be hospitable when you touch every single part of the experience. Right. right. So yeah, it, it was a, a really great experience for us. I learned a lot and it was empowering to be able to do it yourself. Right. Sure. I, I probably never, and I hope I'll never be in a position to do that again. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll have bigger projects and we'll, you know, be able to hire people that can do it. But to, to have that be your first experience and then for it to be a success was really empowering. Oh, I can understand that. I think being an architect early on, I spent a lot of my early career, you know, going to building sites and going to manufacturers facilities and, yeah. and seeing how things were made. And it gave me a completely different perspective on what it takes to get there or what it is successful. Oh, that, you know, for example, I, I did retail design for years and years. And designing the table, whatever it was, was one thing to do. And you did that in an office, completely disassociated from anything. But then when you create this set of drawings and you give it to the manufacturer, he looks at it and goes, I don't know how to make that. And I think, yeah, but it looks beautiful. We figure out how to make it. And you can make it, but at extraordinary cost. But I guess the value of the hands-on experience is that you really get an appreciation for how to get it done, what's relevant, what does the guest actually attend to, yeah. and those kinds of things. Who else helped you? You said you had the financial support. Yeah, so family, investors, business partners, but yeah, it was really a mixture of uh, investor capital and family capital uh, that helped us out for sure. My mom moved down to New Orleans. My dad, a lot of FaceTime interviews, to, to talk through plumbing and <laughs> different handy stuff around electrical stuff. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Is your dad a plumber or an electrician or does he just have a, a facility with doing those things? He's just a jack of all trades, right? He knows a little bit about everything. And so I learned a lot from him as it pertains to doing stuff around the house, right? He, he built his, his own additions to his house. When I first, I first bought my first property at, the age of 23 when I graduated from college and his housewoman gift was a drill that I still have to this day. Right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. 
It's funny, my dad grew up um, the son of a Ukrainian cabinet maker who did all of these sort of interiors for trains and for churches and stuff. So my dad was very handy and he would always make things as well, e equally the same. And he also did take great pleasure in me hitting my thumb with the hammer. He thought that was hysterical. <laughs> things like that. But you know, my, my sons will say to me now, how do you know how to do that? And I said, well, I guess my dad just taught me, you know, and, um, and, or I just said, well, I don't know how to do it. Let's figure out how to get it done. That was always the, the best way to learn deeper, longer memories when you do it yourself rather than simply watching it. And I have to admit, YouTube has been fabulous in terms of learning how to do all kinds of things around my house these days. Definitely. <laughs> So you opened the moor it like within, I think, six months or something. You said you had gone from 100% occupancy for the following year. That's No, actually, actually, no, within three days, within Is three that... days. So we launched July 1st, right before Essence Festival, which is usually 4th of July weekend in, in New Orleans. And with by the 4th, so July 1st, by the 4th, we had booked out our entire calendar through December. It was amazing. I mean, we were getting reservations coming in nonstop for 72 hours, just nonstop until we were fully booked. I can just imagine this moment, right? You're sitting back in the chair, you're exhausted at the same time as you're breathing a huge sigh that all this effort really is something that is gonna, you know, hey, it's gonna work after all. It's not just a crazy idea. It's something that people are really gonna dig. Yeah, you know, it was, an interesting moment because we were we were actually running out of cash right so we we had overspent just like any project right just on a smaller scale you overspend you you blow your budget on stuff that you didn't realize that you needed but you was necessary and so we're going to home depot and this is like our last final purchase round of all the stuff that was necessity and we know we really don't have enough in our account to do it, but we need it, right? And so we swipe the card, some kind of way it goes through. And what we didn't know is once we got back to the car, we had already started to get about 30 reservations that come oh, in. really? And yeah, and some of those people had paid their deposit up front. So suddenly we had all this money in our account and we, we didn't even realize that that had happened. We had a, a young woman that reached out to us on the first, and she said, hey, I wanna stay here. And I work for this blog called The Shade Room. The Shade Room has like, I don't know, at the time, they might've had 20 million followers. She said, in exchange for a free stay, I'd like to post about your property. And we're like, okay, you know, fine. And so, we do that, and right when we were at Home Depot is when she posted about it. Oh, really? And then it went viral, and then that's what that's what happened. And then from there, it was like a snowball effect. Essence uh, did a story, and then CNN Travel did a story, and then it was just a snowball effect yeah. from that point on. So it was, yeah, it's crazy. Vibe, Airbnb, uh, the route. I mean, you've got some extraordinary press, and in such a short time. So yeah. opened opened what? day again uh july 1st 2018. this is where eyebrows raise so within the year okay, you're booked out for the whole year within a few days awesome yep. um, kind of unheard of uh within the within the same year all of a sudden you're getting a lot of recognition social media obviously that's great but like not just recognition from people you know on instagram and social media but like industry recognition that all of a sudden people like including boutique design magazine has you in their 
uh, magazine as up and coming hoteliers of the year for 2019. Yeah. And that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But but did it did all that help or did it get easier or did it just sort of get okay like I said you do you were just beginning to say fasten your seatbelts we're we're going on a ride here yeah you know we thought it would be easier right um, we thought it was going to open more doors and that you know the next step would be to, to do larger properties but uh, it almost seemed to hurt us in a sense because we didn't have that big property to really point back to and so we really ended up getting pigeonholed. People would say, hey, it's not a real property. What's your F&B doing? Uh, it's easy to, to sell out that many rooms when you only have four rooms. And so it actually almost pigeonholed us into, okay, you guys just do these small one-off properties. Hey, I have a six-room property here. Do you want to do that? And it's like, no, the, the vision has always been to do these larger hotel properties with a restaurant, a bar, rooftop. That's always been the vision. We had to do this. This was like the beta test of mm. to see if there's even a market for it, right? right? right. And the crazy thing about it is, so we booked our whole calendar. If our property was 25 rooms, we still would have booked the whole calendar. We had to turn so many people away. Our phone was ringing off the hook and we finally got to a point where we don't have anything else to sell you for this year. And we didn't start to book for 2019 yet because we you know, we understood, you know, if you know New Orleans, the beginning of the year, there's so many things going on, right? You got Mardi Gras and then Jazz Fest. And we didn't, at the time, we weren't prepared to price it out. So we could only do uh, the, the end of 2018 at the time. And so... Yeah, it was interesting to realize that the size of that property really pigeonholed us when it came to talking to investors and taking the next step. Yeah. But there's no doubt in my mind, if, if we would have started even with the 25-room property, we would have had the same success. Do you have those naysayers? And they're always going to be those people saying, hey, well, how do I know I can invest in a 100 or a 200-room property under the same sort of brand premise yeah. uh, if you haven't done that before? Um, what did you do to jump over that again, an additional barrier, you know, that the naysayer who says, well, you're not proven in, in a, a room or a hotel that's got, you know, a hundred or 200 keys. Yeah. You know, our next step was to try and do something, just another step up. Let's go to something that's 15 keys. Let's stay in New Orleans. New Orleans mm -hmm. has been good to us. Let's do something a little bit bigger that has a small little cafe, restaurant, coffee shop. So now we can project to be bigger than we are a little bit. And it's just the next step. Okay, then after that, we'll go to something larger and you know, so on and so forth. But we had the hardest time raising capital. We weren't raising that much money, right? Was, and I say that now, I say, I say that now. At the time, it was a lot of money, but uh, we were trying to raise like uh, an additional $400,000 to get this really beautiful property in uh, the uptown area of New Orleans. And we couldn't do it. We couldn't get it done. Funny when you say $400,000. I expected to hear a number like a couple of million dollars or a large multi-million dollar sort of deal that you were trying to get. But it is kind of startling, I suppose, to think that you were trying to find 400000 bucks. Yeah. But it's not, a, it's not a huge amount of money. What was getting in the way? Um, you know, at the time, I wasn't I'm not sure what really got in the way. I think... Uh, like we, like I said before, I think we were pigeonholed by the 
the size profile of the other property. And then there was, you know, people didn't know if we were really ready, which was bogus. But, and then I think the other thing that was really frustrating, I'll never forget this either. Um, so that property falls out of contract. We end up losing money because we had a deposit down, um, end up losing the deposit. And then we go back to a few investors as we're trying to figure out how we move forward. And literally two of them say, I think you should go get another property that's bigger than the more, uh, but not too, too big, maybe around 10 to 15 rooms. And I think that would be the best next step for you. And I literally said, I brought that to you. <laughs> Do you have any idea what we've already done? Were you, what, last last meeting, were you asleep or were you, was there something I didn't say that was better than we have a 15 room property that yeah. we'd like to develop? All right. Yeah. All right. I mean, okay. So understood. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, uh, I'm shaking my head over here if this was good. <laughs> so bounce forward. We're, we're coming into 2019. You're, you're winning all kinds of awards, doing great. Uh, some people are hearing things about coming out of China that is mysterious, that people are questioning about, um, hasn't really come stateside uh, at all yet. Um, but then the world of COVID-19 hits. And we both know this very well and intimately, the hospitality space and retail space, to which I'm also very intimately connected, goes into a tailspin, right? Now the vision is getting shaken to its core. How, how does that affect you? What are, what are you thinking now? You said, oh my God, is this not been difficult enough already? Now what? what? What are you thinking about? Yeah, so very early on, we had two projects that we were working on at the beginning of the years. One Oakland project that was 92 keys that was honestly pretty expensive. And then there was a really cool project that I was negotiating uh, on in Baltimore that I really liked. And I think at the beginning of March, I started to sense what was going to happen, right? We hadn't gone into our sheltering in place and all those restrictions yet, but you could kind of feel that this is going to be bigger than what, what they're letting on to. And so I started thinking about a lot of things. I started thinking, hey, if I do even close on this property, what is the supply chain going to look like? Am I going to be able to get the things that I need from the places I need to get them, um, you know, from a design standpoint? Is how long is that going to prolong the process? That was very early on. Then I started thinking, you know, you started hearing about the travel restrictions and it's like, okay, this is going to be a while, right? Um, travel being restricted, how is that going to impact uh, travel to the Bay Area? We have this cruise ship that's just sitting out there off the coast that can't come in and start. So I'm starting to now think, okay, I don't know if right now is the right time. So I think we stopped negotiations. Um, on everything around early March. And I started to realize probably quicker than even my investors did what we were in for. And so I started telling everybody, hey, this is gonna be pretty bad. You know, they were still trying to be aggressive. And I was like, no, nah, we need to sit down, wait, and kind of see what happens in the market. And then it was interesting to be ahead of the curve in a sense, but then I, I think I got the, went through the depression before everybody else did, right? The re, the reality 
and the fact of what was really going on. And so those first couple of weeks were tough because I said to myself, look, we, we don't have a property currently. We had now just closed the moor, didn't know when we were going to be able to open it up again, if ever. Um, and it's like, I don't know if this will ever happen, right? And then after about two or three weeks, I think maybe early April, I finally had to give myself a date. I finally had to tell myself, this is gonna be like this for two years. Mm -hmm. And finally, once I set that date, then I actually became you know, less depressed, <laughs> it had something to work towards, I uh, started to, you know, think about what the pivot would look like. Had even, you know, kind of created another business plan and trying to figure out, hey, do I go in a different direction? Uh, but really, what do I do? Um, because so many things are going to look different and change. And it's hard to, at, the, at that time, know what it's all going to look like. And I think just now we're, we're finally starting to get a sense of where things are gonna go and how things are gonna look, what's gonna happen to business travel, um, what's gonna happen at length of stay, um, you know, what are the new needs, what's the new normal really look like from a telecommuting and, um, you know, Zoom call and conference call kind of lifestyle that's gonna really take over the business world. How do things change? And what does that new hotel room of the future look like? And so. It's interesting because, you know, fast forward through all of that, uh, going through a crazy depression of thinking that you're going to have to kill your dream. I look back today and I say, man, how blessed we are that all those times that we wanted a property, right? Whether it was Oakland, the bigger property in Oakland, whether it was a, a little bit bigger property in New Orleans, how thankful all those things happened that we didn't get those opportunities because instead of being able to be in the wonderful position of looking forward we would have been stuck with our heads down encumbered with you know a property furloughing people that we love uh laying off people that we love and we care about with families and i'm thankful looking back now in hindsight hindsight's always 2020 right <laughs> uh, but now looking back thankful that we're just not in that position that brings a whole new meaning to the word um, hindsight is 2020, given, exactly. that this is, given that this is 2020. And you've been blessed with this ability to, um, you know, get back to the future uh, yeah. in, in, a, in a way. It is, it is interesting how this is very much a growth mindset. I talk a lot about mindset and mm -hmm. um, Carol Dweck's work in talking about a growth versus a fixed mindset. But this ability to be resilient in the face of challenges, to see things that you get straight out wrong, um, end up being an opportunity for you to learn more, to recalibrate and reshift the vision uh, so that it's proactive um, and adaptive. It's impressive for one. And it's admirable to see that despite that, you're now in this place where you're saying, okay, another just you know remarkable setback uh, that we're now facing, but okay, so what's the silver lining if one can make a silver lining in this? And so if you have to take out the crystal ball now, I want to get back to this because I'm all kinds of fascinated with the idea of store of the future and, and guest room of the future and public space of the future. What do you think are some of the implications about hotel design and experience 
that are coming about as a result of, of the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, I think there's some interesting things to look at, right? You look at the, a group like Sonder, who uh, right now is doing close to 80% occupancy in a lot of their markets. Uh, in comparison to the overall hotel market, which is hovering around 40% occupancy, between 30 and 40% occupancy right now. Mm -hmm. And that tells you that people are looking to get out of their home and go to something that resembles and feels like home, right? Um, and that could be Airbnb, that could be Sonder. The, the difference is, you know, you have more of like a standardized set of, you know, cleaning requirements, et cetera, when you stay at a Sonder. So people feel comfortable, right? They feel comfortable being in that type of environment. And I think that the hotel room of the future really has to um, appeal to that. Length of stay is going to get longer, right? If you no longer have to come back to work in a physical office, that means that you are allowed to go on vacation. I could go to Colorado. I can pull up my laptop and get all the work done I need to get done during the day and still hang out and have fun and hit the slopes uh, when I'm not working, right? So you'll yep. stay longer. Um, and I think there's going to be more family travel. So if you think about those things, what does a person need when they stay somewhere you know, over a week? Those needs change, right? You think of just the extended stay model and mm -hmm. what people need. Um, I think you're going to need more of that. Interesting thing about extended stay for me is if I look at the world of extended stay, they also lived in a parallel universe to what I would have considered to be like retail rollout. Um, same room concept, repeat it as many times as you can, economy of scale, uh, and that, and, and, oh, by the way, when you talk about extended stay, of course, you're not changing rooms and, and sheets and you don't have those costs that decrease potential revenue or your margins because you, you're simply spending more money on maintenance and, and room cleaning and things like that. So you the models make sense, but the room experience isn't particularly unique. You could go to a residence inn or a Spring Hill or a town place or uh, some of the other brands in this category. And across the continent, you're pretty much coming up against the same kind of experience. Now, on the one hand, that's good because there's a there's a familiarity with that, but I don't know that the market in general is looking per se for a, rep a repetitive kind of experience. And that's where I think boutique hotels have a, a, a unique opportunity as people search for different kinds of experiences that have a set playbook of things that you're going to expect, that it's going to be clean, that the food will be good, that you know it'll be safe, those kinds of things. But people are yearning for different so do you think that the extended stay model played up against places like that homage would create are two different paradigms or do you think extended stay will see pressure to create more unique experiences than they might have in the past yeah that's a great question i think you hit the nail on the head that is what the hotel of the future the boutique of the hotel of the future is really going to look like it'll resemble much more towards an extended stay type of property but have the, the local flair, the, the design, the art that centers you in the location that you're at. And I think that's also the, the problem with Sonder, right? If you were to look at all of their properties nationwide, you could mix, pick one up and put it in another city 
pick this one up, pick the San Francisco one up and put it in New York. And there's really no difference, right? Uh, they all pretty much look the same and nothing grounds you, centers you in where you are. There's also not a, a food and beverage component to the property, nor that lobby experience that you are looking for that gives you that sense of connection uh, that we, we long for in a hospitality setting, right? It's more focused on heads and beds instead of that holistic hotel and hospitality experience, which centers around people, regardless of how we, how we want to think about it, people right. make up hospitality. And so you can't eliminate that aspect of it. So I think that's, that's what the boutique hotel in the future would look like. So it's interesting because there is a growing uh, trend, I'll say, of uh, very small footprint rooms. Moxie, for example, 183 plus or minus square feet uh, as a prototype size. It's a matchbox, you know, so small, in fact, that you have to hang the furniture on the wall. Uh, so there's a sense of urban camping where things literally get pulled off the wall and they unfold and they become, yeah. you know, there, there's yeah. no big desk. There's no, but, it, but then it gets not geared towards a business traveler who yeah. might want those kinds of amenities. But the idea is small footprint room and look, use the room as a cube to sleep in. And then get out of the room and get down into the public space where we're going to drive a lot of revenue and make better margins on bar and the F&B experience and, and really engage in that social experience of the hotel. Uh, we don't want you in your room, you know, getting room service. We want you down the lobby where you're engaging in this, these building of relationships. How does that change in a world where people are going to be freaked out about being in a public space with lots of other folks? Um, does this whole paradigm of small footprint rooms, large public space with lots of interaction change as a result of, of the COVID virus? Yeah, I definitely think that while while COVID is going on, those things are going to become a factor. But uh, history rule has, has proven that once things change, once there's a vaccine and once it's behind us, we're going to want different things. The What I look at are not the temporary changes, right? If you're building something now, for a, as a response to COVID, you've missed the boat because these some of these changes are just really just temporary. And three years from now, five years from now, we'll look back and we'll almost forget that this even happened. The changes that I'm looking for are the ones that are going to last, right? People not going back to offices, people enjoying working from home. And even right now, I've, hear, I've heard people complain about working from home. Working from home sucks right now only because of the other factors related to COVID that impact it, right? Yeah, you're working from home, but guess who else is working from home? Your kids. <laughs> you don't have that break during the day. Yeah, you're working from home, and guess what else you can't do? You can't go to the bar when you're done with work because the bar is closed, right? So the, there's all these other external factors that make it not so ideal. But in if everything were normal, working from home is pretty great. Like I don't have to take off work when I go to on a trip because guess what? If I live, if I work on the on the West Coast and I take a trip to the East Coast and I have meetings at nine o'clock, that's noon all of a sudden, right? I get to sleep in, I can get my work done, I can still go hang out. That sounds amazing. I'm gonna stay for two weeks instead of the five days I was gonna stay before. And what do I need? What amenities do I need? How does that change? I don't want a, a small room because my girlfriend works from home too and we have meetings at the same time. So how is that going to work, right? So there's all these, these other things that 
I think I think about that are the long term impacts of what's happening and not just the short term. Obviously, cleanliness is going to be a thing and some of the new technology we're going to see is going to end up being the norm, right? Touchless and all that stuff. Fine. It's going to be the norm. Table stakes. Exactly. Yeah. But what are some of the long-term societal changes? That's what I'm looking at. You're talking about societal change. There has without question uh, been yet again, another unbelievable moment in our American history where on May 25th, um, George Floyd is murdered by uh, police officers. And I'm a Canadian and, and I, I moved by choice to the U.S. And uh, when I see things like that, I just, it's, um, it profoundly affects me. I, I, it, frankly, it makes me just well up. And it's hard to, to fully understand, but the, I suppose if there could be anything good about what actually happened, um, we're seeing people in the streets. We're seeing protests that are not just American. They're happening all around the world. People in the unity of finally in a voice that is global coming out and saying Black Lives Matter, this institutionalized system that has kept a part of the population upon which the economy was built hundreds of years ago squashed is just no longer acceptable. It also brings, I think, to mind the the relevancy of a brand like um, Homage and why it's so important. What is all of these circumstances uh, around the post-George Floyd murder uh, really reminded you of um, in terms of maybe why Homage is so important? Why not to lose the vision of the dream, despite the fact that we are just, you know, figuring out our way through COVID-19 and the shutdown of the hospitality industry. Why is this so important? Yeah, you know, it reminded me of why I started uh, Homage in the first place, right? Um, another another case, similar to the Walter Scott case, but much more uh, abhorrent and um, just a lack of humanity in, in this case. And I think there was a perfect storm of people uh, being stuck at home, tired of uh, being stuck at home and uh, being frustrated, right? There's a lot of frustration just to go around right now, but people being off from work um, and not having a distraction around what happened, right? There was no way around it. You had to face it. If you were black, you had to face it. And you couldn't, there was no bar you could go to and hang out with your friends and talk about it. Um, It just, it was what it was and you had to deal with it. And it was tough and it continues to be tough. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's like almost the the world changed twice, right? So even for me, I was thinking about a pivot brand, doing something different. Wasn't sure if the world was even ready for this hotel brand that pays homage to black culture. And then May 25th, it all of a sudden makes a ton more sense again, right? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of slaps you in the face. Like, no, this is why you did it. This is why you started it in the first place. And then the calls started coming and then the amazing opportunities like this one started coming to really talk about the, the brand and tell the story. Mm-hmm. And the hope within all of this is that uh, 
will have a better opportunity to raise capital, right? To, to make this dream happen. It's poignant for me that, you know, you said we need spaces where we can be free to exist as our full and authentic selves, free from the fear and anxiety that we naturally carry with us as we travel. And that's a very unique experience for uh, African-Americans who feel travel differently. And I'm wondering if you could help build on that a little bit about why homage helps to create that sense of um, not just place for storytelling, but also a place for uh, feeling at home and empowered in a way that that um, Black Americans may not have felt in the past. Yeah, you know, and this is going to be an interesting um, way to look at it, but when you, even when you think of the design, how a space was laid out, if you don't have a diverse group of eyes that are taking a look at it, who is it really designed for, right? Um, who does it really speak to? And I think that's what we realize is every every aspect of the construction or the building of most hotel spaces and most travel spaces in general were not designed with us in mind, right? And that is evident and it comes out in so many different ways. And we could, we could talk about the amenities, we could talk about the art, we could talk about, you know, even the sheets. <laughs> um, there's just so much that we could talk about. I, I laugh all the time because you know, most black women need like a satin sheet for their hair, right? Mm -hmm. That they typically have to bring with them when they travel. Uh, need certain types of lotions, certain types of uh, shampoos that you, you have to take with us when we travel. And if things were made with them in mind, no one loses, right? And I think that's, that's the thing that I've, I've realized. Well, this is really uh, beautiful uh, that I think you said this too, and I'll, I'll paraphrase that if you satisfy these needs of the unmet, there's now a mindful sort of appreciation of that. This is a unique set of folks who need different things, and yet we never apply to them. So, so that if you meet their needs, well, you pretty much have everyone else covered too. Yeah, definitely. Like, for example, a, a very practical example, and I think everyone will understand this, curb ramps right? Ramps in general, right? The disable button to open up doors, right? Like sometimes you just don't want to take the stairs and guess what? You want to take the ramp. But even if you think about on the street, every single street has these curb ramps that are designed for wheelchairs, right? But guess who else benefits? Strollers benefit. If you're riding your bike, you benefit. If you're on a skateboard, you benefit. If you're just walking, you, you benefit, right? And so everyone, no one loses when you're taking care of that population of people, right? Everybody wins. And it's the same. It's no different. Um, we have a, a diverse set of needs unique to us when we travel. And it just is what it is. And when you take care of that, no one loses. Everyone wins. You've also said that um, homage needs to exist not simply as an entrepreneur or an owner, but also as a consumer. What did you mean by that? Yes. You know, what makes it so fun and why I can be so passionate about it after five years is that I want it to exist in the world for myself, right? Even if I, if I wasn't doing it, and I say this all the time, it doesn't even have to be me, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. If I end up being like Moses and I never make it to the promised land, as long as my people get there, that, that's all I want, right? It doesn't have to be me. 
if there is a brand that can do it, do it faster, get capitalized, I just want it to exist. I right. want this type of space to exist. In the world. That's the beautiful part of, I think, what you're doing too, is that it's, um, it, it is clearly, look, you're a businessman. So you're not in this just for the heart of it. You're also in there to make some money. But the reality is the other side of that is a counterbalance or the additive part of this, which I think is great, is that um, it is a bit of a selfless act. It's like creating a thing for people for whom there hasn't been a thing before. And, and that if you can deliver it, God, that's going to be great, you know. And I think that's, um, I think that's laudable. It's really, uh, it's impressive. Yeah. yeah, and the one thing I will say is, yeah, I'm a businessman. I, th I would like to think of myself more as a creative, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, obviously, when you make something good, when you make something great that means a lot to you, everything else is going to follow. You know, what might have been considered to be radical. You know, a, a few months ago, you know, i.e. a hotel that, you know, a brand, hotel brand that pays homage to black culture now really seems to be necessary. Um, why is that so? Yeah, and I think that uh, most people now understand that you can create a, a hotel that pays homage to black culture that is not uh, exclusively for black people. It is a very inclusive product. And we've seen examples of this before. I can point to, you know, an Irish pub. I can point to the line hotel that sits in Koreatown that has Roy Choi as the, the, the celebrity chef of that, of that hotel. I can point to Hotel Kabuki in Japantown in San Francisco. So there's, there's examples of paying homage to a specific culture um, and not alienating anyone in the process. And I think in the past, that was a hard concept for most to understand, right? Could you think of the process that we had to go through to, to liberate, right? To put your fist up and to demand certain things. And when you start to, to celebrate that, it almost looks as, as if you are defiantly um, trying to only create something for Black people. And mm -hmm. the protests recently have really shown it was so funny. There was a protest right outside of my house uh, not too long ago. And there was a, a large contingent of people screaming Black Lives Matter. And I was hard pressed to find a Black person in the actual protest, right? <laughs> so I think that we just, we've woken up. I, I at least hope so. Uh, I hope that we've, we've woken up and uh, we understand that we just, we're just asking for, what we're asking for is very simple the same, yeah. right? We, we want we want equality. We, we want the same things that everybody else is getting. And so even even for us on the on the capital raising side, when you look at the numbers, 2% of black founders get venture capital. 2% of the venture capital that is out there goes to black founders. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous, right? I saw I think the last thing I'll say is I saw SoftBank has like a $100 million fund that they have directed towards uh, Black founders, which is an utter slap in the face when you consider they have a $100 billion fund for everybody else, right? So 
what is a hundred million dollars in comparison to the hundred billion dollars? It's not even a it's not even one percent. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so it's just it's interesting to even now still kind of see the lip service and, and trying to figure out what real change is going to happen. And I just hope that whatever happens is lasting. My sense is, is that there will be fundamental change that will happen. I have to say it's my sense, my deep hope is that it's fundamental change, that it becomes a change to the system and the institutions around which the exclusion of black lives have been part of the goal. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's great about what you're trying to do is you're not saying, no, this is, this is not just an exclusively a hotel property for African-Americans only, please, you know, the rest of you all stay away. Um, but you're saying it's a hotel property that, that caters to the, the needs of that subset of the traveling population in a way that has never been done before. And it's not exclusionary, which I think is is great when you consider that most of um, Black Americans' lives have been excluded from all kinds of things simply um, exactly. because of, of their race, right? Yeah. So it's the honorable and like righteous thing to do, you know, that you're, that you're not being exclusionary in the face of all of what's happened for hundreds of years. It's still, you come back and say, no, we're not trying to keep you out. That's not, that's not what we're doing. Even though y'all have kept us out for hundreds of years, you know, um, this is, this is not what we're about. Uh, and it's, it's just a bigger place to play. It's, it's a, it's a bigger mindset and a bigger, um, spirit, you know, than I think we're finding in a lot of other folks. Yeah. When you think about even that high, have a dream speech, uh -huh. think, think about what that meant. Right. And it, it wasn't, it was never about, we want to be over here, leave us alone. It's like, no. Can we all do this, but can we just be, can you give us an equal footing and level the playing field and make sure that everything is equal? All men are created equal. Right. Well, I mean, and you know, people say to you, how can you keep on going? How do you maintain this sense of perseverance in the face of all of this? And if I had to answer from my side, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the question. And it's like, what's the alternative to not, to yeah. not keep on persevering? Yep. So in asking you, what is what is that motivation or that drive that keeps on allowing you to persevere? You've faced a lot of you know challenges along the way to get this really brilliant idea to market. Um, just honestly knowing that regardless, regardless of what I do, I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, regardless of how much is successful or is not, I know I'll be fine. And I know that I have the creativity and the wherewithal to make something out of nothing, whatever that may be. I just believe, I just so happen to believe in this vision so much that I can't let it go, right? Um, I'm committed to it. I've told the world that this is what I'm gonna do and it's hard to let go. It's hard to not see it all the way through. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that keeps you going. So let's go to the creative part. You said, I said you were a businessman. You said, well, actually, I'm a creative. So I'm going to ask you some questions from the creative side of me now, yep, yep. Which, is, which is about brand storytelling, placemaking, how um, objects and things and places can tell stories. Um, you said, you know, your goal is to make sure that the city and uh, Black American story is told through design. How do you do that? How does a building or a place tell a story in a way that is uh, resonant with guests um, without having to be gimmicky? 
Yeah, I think the easiest way to do that is you really have to learn the local culture. And what what goes, um, what we don't talk about enough is that prior to opening our property in New Orleans, I was in New Orleans for a whole year, right? Mm -hmm. So I was there, I was interviewing people, I was learning about the local culture, I was learning about just so many things that opened me up to this history that exists that you only get when you know people there. You only get to hear about those things when you actually talk to people and ask them. And I said to myself, I wonder how many hotel brands go to a city and ask the residents of that city, what does this city mean to you, right? Because, and I realized this at Howard, a historically black university, it's historically black. Most people look like me. Most people don't act like me, right? So I'm from, I'm from LA. You got people, even in California, you got the LA and then you have Bay Area and there's different lingo and there's different things that we, different values that we have, different music that we listen to, different food that we enjoy. You know, you have people from DC and DC and Baltimore, they're so close. They're so different at the same time. The language is different. The food is different. You know, the, the values are different. And so if you start to learn those things and can incorporate that, man, this hotel now has a different feeling. So how does art and architecture and design express that narrative? You have to include art and design that resonates with that specific area, right? And even in, if you were to look at Oakland, and even, even if you look at street art, right? So street art is not all created equal in each city. Artists have a different level of soul and depth because of their own history, right? And that carries with them. So when you really do things on a local level, man, it feels like that city. And I haven't seen that before, right? And I know hotels have tried, but you can, I can pick up the Ace Hotel in New Orleans. I could put it in Chicago. I could take the Ace in Chicago. I could put it in LA, right? And not to pick on Ace, but that's most, most hotels, even Hoxton, some of the other brands, I could pick them up and put them somewhere else because nothing about it resonates with the local culture. The, actually, right. the people that are local don't even go to that property, right? Um, so the interesting thing about our property, even in New Orleans, you wouldn't imagine how many staycations we had, right? Mm -hmm. People that loved it, that lived in New Orleans, right? That would come and stay and enjoy to stay with us. That, that to me says a lot, because if you, if most people that live in a city have never been to that local boutique hotel that everyone from outside of the city loves. And so, yeah, that that's how you do it. And I can't even, I can't even tell you exactly how it looks because the research hasn't been done yet in, in a lot of these cities. I know what it looks like in Oakland. I know what it looks like in New Orleans. And we'll, we'll find out what it looks like in some of these other cities. So what's interesting about the New Orleans property is that um, when you look at some of the photography, which is beautiful, uh, there you don't see in the in the photographs what you would, I think, stereotypically think of as being New Orleans, which is references, I think, to music and jazz, and and certainly a large part of you know African American culture born out of New Orleans, and a lot of the music that's generated from New Orleans. Instead, I think you see some really interesting crossovers, if I can use that term, between textiles and patterns that have a 
you know, sort of a subtle African root to some of the patterns that you see. Some of the photography is has those things. Some of the other three-dimensional sort of art or styling pieces, you had giraffes and, and characters like that. It seems a little bit dichotomous if we're talking about the city of New Orleans, and, and maybe it's only because it's my knee-jerk reaction to think New Orleans and think music and think about beignets, right, and voodoo, mm-hmm. um, because that's, mm-hmm. all, that's all of what you stereotypically see as a tourist in the city. Um, so are, is that a dichotomy there in terms of experience, or are you melding sort of deep-rooted culture and, and origin uh, with this origin of the city at the same time? Yeah, so what I realized, uh, most people that go to New Orleans only really go to the French Quarter, right? The, the, the French Quarter is, is most people's experience with New Orleans. We've been a, a couple of times. If you live in New Orleans, you never go to the French Quarter. And there's all these other things outside of, of uh, the French Quarter that really tell you more about the history, right? You get Frenchmen, you get the jazz clubs. You know, and that's really the surface level. We went a, a, a level step further. And I think you'll realize that some of the things, the, even the artwork in the room paid homage to a deeper level of the culture of New Orleans and even why it is the way that it is. Why, why do we second line? Where does that come from? That comes from slaves being allowed to go to Congo Square, which is Louis Armstrong Park now, right? And be able to dance to their own music. And that that music turns into jazz, right? right. And so we went a step further. Yeah, you're gonna get Louis Armstrong and I can get a big blown up picture of him and that could be a surface level experience and we can get some big, you know, old Victorian furniture and do that whole thing. There was mm-hmm. something, there was a deeper story to tell that most true New Orleanians understand, they know, they, they get it, and then that resonates, right? That resonates. And whether people understood it or not, the feeling that they got when they came, and we heard it all the time, is like, man, this feels like home. I feel at home. Why, well, why do I feel like I'm at home? Because everything about this is rooted in your history. That's why it feels like home. And I suppose the property gives you the opportunity through your associates who are working there to be able to also fill the narrative through uh, talking about exactly. the experience exactly. right, in some way that, that the guests wouldn't have otherwise known, which is, which is um, that's your idea, I think, about going to a place and coming back home with more than you went with, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, one of the, the interesting things that I learned and you, you might have even heard about even the, the Mardi Gras Indians in New Orleans. It's like, mm-hmm. where did, well, where did that come from? And knowing that for, um, for the French that had slaves, they allowed you to gain your freedom in a number of different interesting ways. And one of them was to claim that you were part of an indigenous culture, thus the Mardi Gras Indians. Right. That's that's where they were born. And so, man, there was just so much that we learned and that we paid homage to through the property. And um, I'm just happy and excited because it did resonate with people. Right. To their core of who they are. 
for sure. That's that's great. Uh, um, I, I love the idea of of leaving to a, from a place with more than just a few snapshots of the sunsets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what homage proposes to do is way more than getting a few Instagrammable moments into your your, your stay. Exactly. Uh, which, which I think is a deeper memory of something that is ultimately more important, despite despite the circumstances we face in the hospitality, retail, like as global economy now on account of the, the pandemic, um, you're continuing to dream. You're continuing to think about what comes next, um, where your next locations might be. Have you had any change of, of heart or thought about where your next locations might be? Um, yeah, I'm no longer looking at some of the primary markets that we were looking at before. Um, I think that there's a number of secondary markets that are going to be much more appealing. Uh, I have a feeling that people are going to start to leave the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, um, not the LA, not LA so much, but even DC looks less appealing than it once did. Um, and so now when I start to think about what migration is going to start to look like, uh, putting properties in some of these secondary and tertiary markets in St. Louis and Kansas City and Memphis and um, some of these great American cities that have such rich history that you could tell um, great stories about, I think those make a little bit more sense. In the wake of some of the things that we've had to uh, face in the past few weeks, it has begun to change and I've seen a, a groundswell of solidarity around some of these core issues. Has that changed the financing opportunities that you're seeing? Are you seeing more people coming now with an increased awareness about what your mission is and in helping or wanting to support? Yeah, starting to see an uptick of that. I think it's yet to be seen if it's just lip service or not. Um, and we'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic that it's not and that we'll, we'll really be able to make some headway. I think right now is the best time to start looking at properties um, and and being aggressive. Right. I, I have a feeling we'll be going through this, uh, you know, the result of this virus for at least another 18 months. Um, but right now, if you were going to develop something, this would be the perfect time. So we'll see. We'll see. I think it's yet to be seen, but again, cautiously optimistic that some of the conversations will change. Well, I like the idea that you said earlier about saying, hey, listen, if we had gone out and got all these projects uh, underway and they were built and open, I would have been responsible for the livelihoods of a lot of folks. And and so maybe there is a, a blessing in the fact that there was a slowdown. Um, has that given you an opportunity to recalibrate your thinking about the brand and what the brand means? Definitely, definitely. Um, it's also given me the opportunity to look at just trends and, and think things a little bit differently. And even the previous question really alluded to that. Certain cities that I would have loved to have a property in um, three months ago are no longer as exciting, right? The Brooklyn's, the Harlem's, even the Oakland's and the DC's of the world uh, don't make as much sense today. So uh, just thankful that we're in a position where we can build a brand during this time instead of correcting past mistakes during this time. Well, I'm sure the circumstances allow you to sort of reevaluate those false steps or false starts rather and uh, rethink, gosh, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I might likely have done it maybe this way.
right? Yeah. Is, is there any anything that you would say, no, I would have done it just the same way? Is there something that you could say, despite everything that we're, we're experiencing now, I would do it the same way? What what might that be if there was something? Yeah, honestly, I would say everything. I'm I'm actually really excited for where we are. I don't, I don't know if I would take anything back. Uh, we went through a lot of ups and downs, but I, I'm really excited by the position that we're in. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that I would actually change, even, even the more, right? Um, even going through that with it being too small of a property, we did that out of necessity. And knowing what I know now, I don't think I would have changed anything. So I'm, I'm really excited, honestly. So if people want to find out more, if they want to support the cause or just get tapped into what you're doing, where can they go? Yeah, so our website, our new, newly revamped website is a new kind of hospitality.com. Uh, and it really tells the full story about homage, uh, what the experience is, is and going to be like. And it's, it doesn't hide behind a veil, right? It was interesting putting that website together because I could be my 100% authentic self. Uh, and it, it was the first time that I could do that without thinking about, um, you know, toning down the message. So I'm excited about the site. Well, Damon Lawrence, uh, you are a brilliant example of perseverance in the face of extraordinary challenges over your, <laughs> your career the past 10 or so years. Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing more stories being told in hotel properties that you create, relevant stories that mm. help also foster a dialogue about the history of this country and yeah. the way it was built and the, the people who suffered and also thrived as a result of it. And I think what you're doing is really something extraordinary. And I think you're right. It is like something that we've never seen before. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Well, thank you. So thank you for spending time with us on this podcast. Oh, thank you, David. You have some uh, amazing questions. You got deeper than I probably anticipated, but I appreciate it. Allow me to tell my story in a very real, raw, and authentic way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Next Level Experience Design. And please remember to subscribe and share with all your friends wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out notes and links and other information like transcripts on the Next Level Experience Design webpage at simplecast.com. Also, follow me on social at LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all of the information about upcoming shows and information on our guests who every day are taking it to the next level.